How many of you believe we just live in the most amazing country and nation in the world? And uh, yeah, come on, let's appreciate her. And, and that was just a kind of celebratory video I asked our team to put together as we walk into this week of elections uh, to remind us of what we already have, not and what we're hoping for. We already have an amazing nation, and we're believing for a great outcome, and we're believing for a strong season ahead in this country. Amen. Because the church is on the front foot, not the back foot. We have Jesus on our side, and God is up to something. If you are new to this church, I want you to know, we don't know all the answers. In fact, we know very few, but we know Jesus, and He seems to supply everything we need. And if church is a new idea for you, and if you've got questions around the church, my prayer is simply that you would enjoy today, uh, that you wouldn't feel like you have to have it all worked out before you leave. Just enjoy today. Just enjoy what God has for you. Uh, feel a part of the family. We'd love to serve you a cup of coffee at the Info area, as Dubsy mentioned, and it'll be an absolute privilege. We're in a series called Permission Slip, which is kind of looking at the courage to participate in heaven's power. And I want to jump straight into Acts chapter 2. Uh, most people would know it as the story of Pentecost. Uh, in many ways, I want to piece together Pentecost for you. It's a big word uh, that we all have a different reference for, and I want to give it some pretty simple understanding, but profound understanding, I hope, uh, what it's all about today. It starts in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, goes like this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Say one place. I don't ever want to take for granted the power of gathering. I don't want Sundays to ever be a routine. This is a privilege. This is powerful. Uh, there is something that happens as our kids unite under God's word, as we unite in worship and His word. Something changes in us, and something changes in the world around us. And so they were together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that word. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? They go on to list a whole list of people that would have been in the area or listening, different backgrounds, histories, cultures, languages, basically just going, they're speaking to each of us. And at the end in verse 11, it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue or own language. 12 says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this even mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they must have had too much wine. Then Peter stands up with the eleven, raises his voice, and addresses the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Friends, side note, what God says, he always sees. If God has promised it, we will see it. In the last days, he said, he quotes Joel, God's people, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. I, I just love a bold vision. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. To prophesy is to declare the end of winter. To prophesy is to speak into being a new season. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood. This is like Avengers 2.0. It's not the end game. This is the game, all right? 
the sun will be turned before the coming and great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone, say everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That word calls is to give authority to a name. So everyone who gives authority to a name, in this case Jesus, will be saved. The word is sozo, which is given internal life or all of life. This is God's exciting message, and I believe He wants to speak to us. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Pentecost. Uh, God, I pray that this story would come alive in our hearts today. God, I thank You have something for every single one of us. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, there is life. And God, we want to give You permission today to speak to us as You give permission to live for You. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. I want to tell you a quick story. I don't know if there are any Formula One fans in the house. Anyone watch a bit of motor? Any motorheads in the house today? Any Ferrari supporters in the house today? I'm terribly sorry. And I'm a Mercedes man. And uh, I like Lewis Hamilton, right? And why wouldn't you? He's kind of winning without any competitors at the moment. And so anyway, we'll talk about that another time. But two years ago, if you're not into Formula One, there's a great principle in this. Lean in. By the end of it, you'll be watching. All right? But two years ago, there was a moment that took place, and how it went down is something like this. There are kind of a couple of qualifying rounds before race day in Formula One, if you're not kind of familiar with the sport. And there's a Q3, and everyone kind of gives it a go. And then there's a Q2, and it narrows down. And then there's a Q1, when the best of the best fight out for the top places, all right? What would happen is they would each get given one final lap, their last lap of the day. It's their final opportunity to take whatever, in their world, they would be pole position, whatever they can get, all right? And so they would set the whole time up, all the qualifying rounds, the whole day's activity, what tires they're using, what fuel's in the car, how the engine's being tuned. All of it comes down to this final lap, all right? And in this particular year, Lewis Hamilton, just, he just kept seeming to take pole position on the final lap. Like he was, he was kind of in the ranks, he was top 10, he was there to thereabouts, but never a wow factor. And then in the final lap, he would jump to number one, and it was starting to bug the competitors. And so there was a post-match or post-race qualifying race interview. And the commentator is talking now to Sebastian Vettel, who is, is literally like his biggest competitor. And they're in the, and they're in the studio, and Vettel's a little bit frustrated because it's like, it, it's been a few times now and it's happened again. And the commentator kind of says, so Vettel, how would you describe all this? Like, what, how would you describe what's going on in the Ferrari crew and whatever? And he's like, no, I don't know what this is. I don't know what's doing. I don't know what is happening. We're doing fast laps. We've got a strong car. That's my German, by the way. <laughs> or wherever he's from. And then he's, he's, he's commenting, he, and he says, he's, he's, and they say, what about, what about Lewis Hamilton? What do you have to say about Lewis Hamilton? He says, uh, um, uh, not, nothing to say about Lewis Hamilton, not, nothing to say. Maybe they got surprise in the car. Maybe they got special need in the car. Maybe there's button. Maybe I don't know what they're doing in the car. But I uh, can't explain. It's, it's a mystery. It's frustrated. The commentator's loving it. Leans over to Lewis Hamilton. is like, well, Lewis. What do you have to say in response to Vettel's suggestions that there may be something that you're hiding, basically, in your car? What do you call this thing that's taking place? And Lewis Hamilton, with a big smile, he's kind of kicked back in the chair, number one position, he leans over, he goes, yeah, it's party mode. Party mode for South Africans. <laughs> and the commentator says, what do you mean by that? He's like, it's party mode, it's where we have fun. Vettel's like fuming, he's like, party mode. Can you imagine the moment, like explain with the words of engineering and science was taking place in your car. Help us all understand the power of what you bring to the race in the final lap. And he goes, it's party mode. 
it makes a complete mockery of the moments. And I thought that was such a cool picture. Because I think there is something that takes place in the Christian life when all things line up that's hard to kind of explain why we're living in that way. It's hard to make sense of the power we have when all the roads and moments line up. I asked my dad, he's a, he's a proper motorhead. And I said to him, Dad, um, can you explain to me party mode in scientific terms? He said, well, I can't give you all the detail, but in essence, they are getting the most out of that car at the opportune time. The, the, the battery has loaded up. It's downloading its energy into the power system. The, 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 the turbo is increasing the pressure in the chamber to maximize what it can produce by way of power in that moment. They're saving all of their expertise, power, background, and reserve for this moment in time. And Lewis Hamilton called it, say it with me, party mode. Friends, tap your neighbor and say, you have a party mode. I want to preach a message today titled Party Mode, and I want to take the liberty of suggesting that God has empowered us to a life that could just be party mode. Unexplainable, nonsensical, doesn't always line up with common sense, but there is an empowerment and an enablement that takes place in the believer, which happened the day of Pentecost, and I want to give you some clarity around what went down, because you and I weren't born to lap out in 10th position, we were born to access party mode. And I feel like there is something powerful God has for the church. You see, Pentecost is kind of like what happened with Lewis Hamilton. By the way, now they've all kind of caught up with it. They all have party mode, but they have signs for it, all right? But what, I think what happened at Pentecost was kind of similar. All the right things lined up. Let me tell you a little bit about Pentecost. You might be surprised. Pentecost is from a word, Pentecostos, all right? It's a, it's a word that speaks of 50th. Why 50th? Well, it was 50 days, Pentecost, this moment that we're reading about in the Bible. It actually took place. It was 50 days from what Jewish people would call the Feast of Passover, Passover was the celebration of the people being set free from Egypt, all right? And so Passover was a celebration. 50 days later, these people would celebrate the Feast of Harvest or Pentecost 50 days later. Now, the Feast of Harvest is a very powerful thing to think about because the Feast of Harvest was to do with the grain harvest or the wheat harvest. Wheat is a picture of blessing and burdens or judgment and freedom. Let me tell you why. Because in the Old Testament, we'd often see the analogy given of a winnowing fork separating the chaff of the wheat from the substance of the wheat. We often see the picture. It's a picture of Jesus separating the sin of our lives from the substance of our lives, which is what God put there in the first place. And so whenever you re read of a wheat harvest or a grain harvest or a harvest of the grain, I want you to know it's reminding us that the burden was lifted so that the blessing could fall. This is happening on Pentecost. It's an opportune moment. All the right things are lining up. All right, the burden's been lifted. The blessing's going to fall, and I'm going to empower my people. By the way, also when you think of harvest, harvest speaks of soil. Grain comes from the soil. And it's an opportune moment, I believe, in the story of God where people are celebrating harvest of soil where God is going to turn it around, empower them to harvest souls. He's wanting to take it from a product to a people. He's transitioning and it's opportune. It's on its, its party mode. 
There is something about Pentecost. There is something about the moment where it all lined up. Jesus had been back with them for 40 days since his resurrection, we're told. 40 days is a picture of a transition into the promised land. Jesus now leaves. He transitions the promise to them, the baton. They're in a room, 10 days in a room, feast of the harvest, and he's about to set them free to reap people or to bring people in to the promises and plans of God. By the way, we are a product, if you like, of Pentecost. We are recipients of an empowering that took place in God's people that spread them to the ends of the earth and found us here in South Africa. But here's what I want you to know. Pentecost goes on. God filling his people with power continues. This book of Acts is about the courage to participate in heaven's power. It takes courage to believe God would use us to participate in a powerful outcome. It's party mode. Tap your neighbor with a bit more courage and say, it's party mode. If you remember nothing else, just remember, it's, it's party mode. It's all lining up. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, and you will baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He's not, he's not calling it all into line. He's getting that car ready for race day. He's setting his people up to transform the universe. And he says, and you will baptize. The word for baptize is baptizo. Baptizo is to immerse or to come under. So what he's saying is, when you go, people will be blessed by me in you. They will come under. They will experience me, me flowing from you. It's party mode. They are accessing something that they've never dreamt of. And it's not just going to be a little like, you'll be fine for Monday. It's going to be an overflow for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And until the day God calls you home to heaven, there is going to be an access to power that he gives us that overflows into others experiencing Jesus, get this, around us, in our businesses in our families. Sunday is not an encouragement for you and I. It's a filling up for everyone else. Of course, it's going to encourage you. And yes, you will leave inspired, I believe. But God wants to fill you up to overflow so that others benefit from party mode. I want to speak about two things today, I think, that take place, two big ideas around Pentecost, making sense of it, if you like, to big ideas that take place that'll help you understand what is going on in us as God wants to work through us. And by the way, this invitation is for everyone. Whether you've just arrived at church today or you've been doing this for 50 years, I wanna tell you, Pentecost can come home now. God's power can come on you now. The first word I wanna speak about is the word empowered. Empowered. And to be empowered is to have authority or power to do something. Agree with me for just a second. Power feels good. Like, I mean, I know you're acting all humble on me right now, but it's nice to be in control. Man, we wouldn't know about this. But I mean, if it were ever this, okay, anyway. Isn't it good to be, isn't it cool to have permission? Permission to play, permission to spend money, permission to, to break free, permission to start new things. Like when you're a teenager and your, your parents gave you permission to drive the car alone. It felt powerful. Man, that speedo wasn't, didn't have enough on it. Isn't that the truth? You felt powerful. Power is, power is something. And you see, God wants to, has to understand that at Pentecost, he put power in us. What is power? It's the authority or power to do something. 
He has empowered us to do something. Listen to this. Acts 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, that speaks of power, that separated and came to rest on each of them. All right, just a bit of background here. When we read the word fire, it's a picture of God now empowering his people to become his hands and feet on earth, all right? He's giving them authority to do what he's always done. He's giving them authority to break open new seasons, to bless families, to bring healing to society, to restore hope to those that are hopeless. He's, he's giving authority. He's handing the baton to go and do what Jesus has been doing. Pentecost was powerful. It's party mode. But what, was talk, what they were talking about when it came to fire was a pillar of fire in the Old Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, when they're in the desert place, God's people were led by a pillar of fire by night. Fire was what called them forward. Fire is what led them into what God had prepared for them. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Fire, fire was what generated momentum. Fire wasn't just, I can see. Fire was, I know where I'm going. Fire was clarity, it was confidence, it was a call forward. But the interesting thing about this moment in time, because it says they see fire come and rest on each person's head. In the Old Testament, it was one pillar of fire and many people. In the New Testament, it is many licks of fire and one people. I want you to know that a transition has taken place. A divided people with one pillar of fire to a united people with multiple fires. This is Pentecost. This is it's party mode. It's all lining up. Let me tell you why else this is powerful. Because Old Testament, they would believe that a priest would represent God to the people and the people to God. All right? In the New Testament, Peter, who's experiencing Pentecost, he goes on to say, we're a priesthood of all believers. Can I, let me read it for you. I just want to make sure you don't think I'm making this up. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says it like this. You are a chosen people. I could be saying that over Link Church right now. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Royal speaks of kingdom, speaks of authority. You have authority and you're a priesthood. A holy nation, God's special possession that you should declare the praise of him who's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter makes this transition. He helps us understand when we used to be represented one priest to many, we are all now priests to the world. All right, one pillar of fire, many people, many fires, one people. There is an authority and a power that took place at Pentecost, listen to this, that empowers you to do the work of God in society. I get the privilege of helping you understand it, but you have the privilege of making it happen. You are an empowered people. You are a priesthood of all believers. You don't need me to bring God's word to you. You have free access for yourself. I just hope to light it up. But you're an empowered people. You see, this is big for Peter. You've got to understand, Peter's the guy that just down the road denied Jesus. I mean, if there's anything that's got to make you feel like a letdown, it's that you denied Jesus. Like you let that guy down. Peter's, he's just been through the denial of Jesus. And now you know what he's doing? Declaring Jesus. Peter, Peter goes from having no authority to having all authority. What's the difference? He got power. Peter never changed. Same guy. Same chassis. 
but he got party mode. I want, to, I want you to see this. I want you to realize that if you go through the rituals of religion, you'll never necessarily access the power of God. The power of God is simply to say, God, would you come and live and breathe in me by your authority in the presence of my own heart? God, I'm handing over the reins to this system to you. And God comes in. It's a promise of Pentecost. If we wait on him, he will fill us. And he comes in and he overflows in us and he puts fire on each of us to become a united people with different purposes. So for Peter, this is big. You know what else I'm thinking? For Peter, I mean, for sure he's courageous, at least to the point where he denies Jesus. Then he goes quiet. He's lost his courage. I'm thinking, what would bring back courage? I'm thinking when Peter stands up, and, and you know that word voice? It says Peter stood up, and with his voice, that word voice is to light up. So it's like Peter stands up and then he lights up because lights had come and I was thinking, I wonder what changed. I thought maybe Peter had felt so much shame when he denied Jesus. I'm such a letdown. I'm like, what a failure. Like, what a disappointment. Disappointment. Like I said to a bunch of people, I promised my family I'd never let God go and then I went off on a detour and I'm just like a letdown to my family name. And like, man, I've, I've promised God I'm going to be generous with everything I've, he's given me. And then I, I kind of got selfish and I built an empire and it all broke down. Now I've got nothing. I'm just like, I just like I'm covered in, in shame. And then Peter stands up and he lights up. I want to hone in on light just for a second here because we think light is to expose us. But light's not to expose us. Light is to show him. Light is to not expose your sin. It's to showcase the sun. It's Jesus in us. That's light. It replaces darkness. It doesn't remind us of it. Light is powerful. Peter lights up. Uh, someone once said that the Holy Spirit's role, I just want to help you today. Is that right? The Holy Spirit's role, coming to the place where we trust Jesus with our hearts and lives, is to convince us or convict us, should I say, of our lack or of our sin. In other words, you need a salvation. You need Jesus. There is something of a void and a hole that nothing you do will ever satisfy. And that inkling, that voice that calls us to a point where we go, I need this question answered. That's the Holy Spirit convicting us of what we lack so that we would come to Jesus for that. All right. But then they said, what's interesting is once we've said yes to Jesus or entrusted Jesus with our lives, and you can call it whatever you want to call it in your life, whatever that looks like, that moment of handover. After that, the job of the Holy Spirit is no longer to convict us of our sin. It's to convince us of the Son is not to convict us of what we lack. It's to convince us of what we have. Peter had gone from being a man going, God, I'll do everything for you. Let down. He's like, oh, I'm a hack. He comes to this understanding. Jesus calls him on the water, reinstates him. Peter stands up and lights up with a voice. Friends, I'm not focused on what I lack. I'm going to let you know what I have. And I have a Jesus. You see, the first time, Peter used his own words, and he lost his courage. This time, Peter uses God's word. In Prophet Joel, he just quotes God's word, and he gets clarity and confidence. By the way, the devil attacks circumstance. There is a force in this world, I believe, he has names, the devil, he attacks our circumstance, but what he really wants is our confidence. Because if he can rob God's people of a confidence in the finished and complete work of Christ, we will walk around with shame. Let's be honest, shame is heavy. And Peter stands up, no more shame, no more condemnation. And for sure, some might have been saying, but you are, and he's just lighting up. 
friends, we need to come to a place in our walk with God where we are no longer defined by what we've done or what's been said or what we lack. We are defined by and set apart for what we have, which is Him. Peter lights up. He's in party mode. Priscilla Shira tells a story. She's an amazing preacher. She tells a story of a young boy. I don't know if he was six or seven years old. I forget now. But uh, he lost his tooth. And uh, so she tells the story. That night they put him into bed and he puts his tooth in the tooth, tooth fairy uh, bag. Now, it's funny. It, it depends what world you come from, how rich the tooth fairy is, right? <laughs> like, for, for us, our tooth fairy is quite consistent with a 20, you know. But um, the other day a mate phoned me. I won't mention any names. His wife is Candace. And uh, he phoned me and he said, he said, my boy's lost his tooth. Have you got a 50? <laughs> I thought, man, who do you think you are, brother? Your friend's teeth are so f- full of gold. And um, Priscilla Shire, back to the story. She loses, her son loses his teeth, goes to sleep, puts it in the jar. And that night they all fall asleep. And she says to them, uh, says, her husband, she says, love, I don't have any money. Like I got nothing. What are we going to do? We can't like pretend it's there and then it's not and then it is and then it isn't. So we've got to be consistent. So she goes, get this, she goes into her son's room. She unbuttons her son's savings in his wallet. She takes $10 out of the wallet and replaces the tooth in his thing with $10 from his wallet. And she puts it in there, goes to sleep, whatever does her thing, wakes up the next morning and the son is coming through the room. Mom, Dad, I got $10. It's the best day, $10. I think it was the first two. This is the best thing ever. And she leans over to her husband. She says, he's celebrating something that's already his. I think the Holy Spirit comes to do that in us. I, I, think, I, think, I think God pays by the power of his presence for us to awaken to what's already been there. Like, make no mistake, when you were formed in God's hands in your mother's wombs and you were shaped and your name was given and your identity and your DNA and your eye color and the way you walk and the way you talk and what you lean into and the bias of your gifting and the the poetic nature of how you live your life and all these things, make no mistake, that was handcrafted, custom designed. God knew the potential, but guess what? Life distracted you and words distracted you and thoughts led you aside and decisions made it go away. And then the power of God comes in a moment, and I pray some of you it's today, and reminds you, listen to me, of what you already are. That you're born and set apart by God for great things. You have a party mode. And I believe that's what grace does. It's what the gospel does. It's what Pentecost did. You are empowered. The second word I want to talk about is enabled. Enabled is to make able. I know, it's profound. I get it. Worked hard on that. It's to make able or to equip for. You are enabled. You are empowered. Fire from one pillar to many people, to many people and to one people and many pillars. You're empowered. You're priests. You're called by God to have authority to build business, to raise families, to lead society, to govern this nation. You're called by God, empowered by God, but you're also enabled by God. God makes us able for the mission that he's called us to. What I love about this story is their mission was to witness, and he gave them a language for it. Their mission was to speak a message, and he gave them the right language for the people that they would speak to. 
Did you ever think about it like that? Did you ever think God is highly strategic? God knew what was happening? Let's read the story again. Acts 2, it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Pentecost is about. And began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And then there were some staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, they came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. This is profound. In the Old Testament, there was a story of the Tower of Babel. In the story of Babel, language divided people. You can go and check it out. In the story of Pentecost, language united people. God is redeeming the difference in language. God is making us realize we don't only have one language in South Africa. We have multiple, 11 recognized languages in this beautiful nation. And languages don't divide. Under, under the Old Testament, they divide. But under Pentecost or power or party mode, they unite. And so when we realize we're not living in the old, fighting for a space in society, we're living in the new, celebrating the diversity of society, language unites. Amen. Language unites. So God gives them a language of unity, although it has different sounds, applications. By the way, if you're Afrikaans, you have permission to speak to me in Afrikaans when I say hello to you. Praise God for Afrikaans people. If you're Zulu, you have permission to speak to me in Zulu when I speak to you. I won't have too much to be sure of what you're saying back to me, but I'm going I'm to agree with you and say, yes, brother, I'm coming with you. What I'm saying is your language is powerful. Own it. What I'm saying is your heritage is part of who you are. Don't feel like that has to change to enjoy what God has for you. There's something about us just realizing that under Pentecost, God brings different backgrounds together for one outcome. And He can do it in South Africa today. He can do it today. Nelson Mandela's story was told of, I believe it was F.W. de Klerk, when the presidency had changed and Mandela was in power, if you like, and a story was told that they refused to recognize his mother tongue as, a, as, a, um, as something they would use in meetings or somewhere to be addressed by that tongue. And the story goes that Mandela walked into one of the early meetings with President F.W., and uh, he greeted him in Afrikaans and thanked him for the privilege of serving alongside him in this nation. And from that day, F.W. said, from now on, we'll talk in the mother tongue of this nation. I want to tell you, friends, there's something about celebrating what you don't find comfortable because somebody else has something to offer that you don't. Language is powerful. But I want to talk about the prophetic significance of this moment. He gave them a language people could understand. Prophetic is basically God helping us make sense of the future in a current moment. All right? A prophetic thought is making sense of the future in a current moment. He gave them a language that they could understand. He took the language of the Bible and of God and of the good news, he took it from the spiritually elite and he put it on the streets. He gave them a prophetic language. He gave them a language for the streets. 
Oh, I love this. I'm going to preach a little bit about what God's called us to. He's called us to the streets, friends. By streets, I mean your business. By streets, I mean your family. By streets, I mean the streets. By streets, I mean the shopping centers. By streets, I mean the cashiers. By streets, I mean the people that serve you in restaurants. By streets, I mean your employees. By streets, I mean your fill in the blank. He's called us to the streets. And he took a language that was housed by the spiritually elite. And he gave them a language prophetically that could be heard on the streets. That means he's given business ideas that access people on society streets. That means he's given thoughts for families that no longer make parents feel like they're up here, kids are down here, and hope we all end up well. No, he's given us language to unite the family, to bring us together, to call us toward one thing as a unit. He's given us a language. He's given us thoughts. He's given us ideas. He's given us stories. This is Pentecost. This is party mode. I was in a business meeting recently or a meeting with a businessman recently. Dynamic man in society. He's telling me about what God's been doing with him. He's sitting in some pretty interesting uh, rooms, government guys, and just God's given him incredible influence. And we're sitting there, and he's telling me a story, and I was being so encouraged. And as he was speaking, I felt God give me a scripture in the story of Jesus that I believed would bless this guy. And so as we finished speaking, I said, sir, you mind if I just encourage you with one story? Just one thought. I don't want to add too much to this moment. You've taught me so much, but I want to respect you with the word God has given for you today. And uh, I shared this word with him, and something in him unlocked. I could just see it. His heart just opened up. He said, I want more of what this is. Friends, this is language for the streets. Honestly, I didn't even know where that came from. I'd never read the story. I hadn't read it for ages. But God gave me a moment. He gave me a song for the street. He gave me a language that spoke to that man's context. Listen, if you're building business, if you're building business, keep doing what you're doing. It's fantastic. But there's a party mode where you're empowered to see and say things that connect far more with people than you think or dream or imagine. There is something God wants to do in his people where we hand over the reins, where we transfer authority. God, we call on your name. This is us making that name more important than mine. And when you give me stirrings, which is to buy this or sell that or speak this or say that or brand this or move here or do this, I'm just going to do it because it may seem strange to me. I've never spoken like that, but it's going to make sense to the streets. I believe God wants to give us strategies for the streets, thoughts that unlock things in this nation we've never dreamt of. Unlock, unlock, unlock. It's amazing because it's a simple faith, but it has just profound application. One of our values as a church is simple faith. Just reveal Jesus. Dill, you don't have to come up with all of God's plan for the future. Just show Jesus. Just let people know that he is the party mode. It's not because we're good. It's not because we're dynamic. It's not because we, in fact, I'll tell you a story. I, I spoke at a leadership room once. I'll close with this. I spoke at a leadership room once uh, with a friend of mine who leads quite a big church and had an amazing staff team. I had the privilege of speaking to him around leadership. And, uh, and so when he introduced me, he said, Dill's team are amazing. Their church is fantastic. Uh, they really have modeled something great in South Africa. Like he kind of, he kind of set me up. I was just, I was just enjoying it. Like, keep going, brother. Keep going. Like, I can't wait to meet the guy you're talking about, but, you know, keep going. And, and he got to the end of it and he said, one of the things I've just loved most about Link Church is they really bring cool back to church. They, there's, there's a cool factor to them. They, there's just something cool about Link. There's just, and with that, he said, all right, Dill, come and encourage us in leadership. And, and as much as I want to be cool to my children, I didn't feel like that was appropriate for what was in my heart. And I felt God in that moment give me a 
of thoughts. He said to me, I stood up, I said, hi. I said, listen, guys, honestly, I love the idea that we're cool. That's, that's one part of it. But we never set out to be cool. We set out to be clear. I don't want to make this profound truth complicated for people like you and I. I don't want my kids to grow up thinking if they haven't read the Bible back to front and front to back 10 times over that they don't have a faith. When my daughter brings me a communion cup, the miracle meal, and she says, Dad, can I share this with my friends today? I want, to, I want her to know. Jesus is in your heart. You're a priest, my baby. You take that communion with honesty and courage. You go and break it over your friends and you claim healing over their lives. I don't want to complicate it. simple faith. Listen, God's going to give you a simple language to produce profound results. Simple strategies, profound outcomes. Simple decisions in your home. Undeniable grace. We got home from the prayer meeting two weeks ago. And it was one of those prayer meetings. I just kind of cried a little bit. And people were singing, and it was just beautiful. And I got home, and Tess was at color. Normally, that's chaos. Because there's me and four extraterrestrials. And I got home to my house, and I thought they'd all gone somewhere. It was quiet. And I walked down the stairs, opened the back door, and they weren't in bed. They were still awake, but it was like, what was that, that app that they had at one stage where you could walk through and everyone was like, in like, what was it called? You'll think about it. Um, mannequin, mannequin mode, something like it. And I, I almost wanted to go and like, Taya, Anna, like, did she drug you? Peace had just come over our home. Supernatural peace. You want that? That's Pentecost. That's not how many times you made it to church. It's not how many Bible verses you read. It's you sitting with an open heart in the presence of God in a room like this. They were gathered in one room and saying, God, could you just fill me? Could you empower me? Could you put the fire that got Peter to stand up and get his voice back? Could you put that on me, God? Because I lost a bit of courage. I'm not sure I am the mom I dreamt of being. I'm not sure I've been the wife of I've thought I should be. I'm not sure I'm the husband. I'm not sure I'm the businessman. But God, I'm here and I'm in the room. And could you just fill me a little bit? And I believe God wants to do that this morning. So stand with me and we're going to pray.